You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. We do praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit. We praise you for those words that we just heard, that without the the cross, there, there is no crown of the resurrection, that we know that the resurrection was not a reversal of defeat, but it was the declaration of the victory, that you broke death through your death. And we're just so grateful for that amazing truth. And we pray thou that in the reading and preaching of your word, you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us, that we would not just be those who hear and walk away just as some nice religious sentimental time, but that we truly would respond, we'd be changed, responding with our obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Good morning, friends. I'm so happy to see you. Uh, Some of you I haven't seen literally in a year. Uh, Others of you I've never seen before, but I know that you've been with us online. I know that there's a lot of you with us online now. Um, I'm Corey. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're so happy that we can be together like this today. You know, I was just thinking this morning, I don't think there has ever been a year, certainly not in my lifetime, probably not in any of your lifetimes, where the message of Easter is more important, more poignant, more relevant to today, this time and place that we are in right now. And so we're grateful that we can hear this good word today. Um, Let's hear God's word read by Reverend Esther Choi. She's reading to us from 1 Peter. So let's hear God's word. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is lots of hope in the air, thankfully, and for good reason. Uh, Lots of folks getting vaccinated, the weather is turning beautiful and, and warm. The spring is coming out. Flowers are coming out. Buds are on the trees. We hear just heartwarming stories about grandmoms hugging their grandbabies and 
people having crazy parties in nursing homes and, and all that. It's just, you know, it, we all, I think, are feeling a bit more hopeful than we have in a long time. It's amazing, isn't it, how a sense of hope really changes your experience of everyday present circumstances. And the reason for that is because as human beings, we are fundamentally hope-based creatures. We're fueled, fueled by hope. Andrew Dalbanco is a professor at Columbia, and he wrote a really interesting book about 10 years ago called The New American Dream, A Meditation on Hope. And he argues in this book that it's not just individual people that desperately need hope, but it's whole societies that need hope in order to have any kind of social cohesion. He wrote this um, in, in the book. He said, hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. Which <laughs> is a little dark, a little heavy, but you get what he's saying is that if you want to like have a reason to get up in the morning, if you want to have an ability to kind of push through hardship, if a society is able to stay together and to have any kind of cohesion, you need hope. You need a sense of an anticipation of a positive future, a positive outcome. We are fueled by hope. In fact, I would say it another way that what we believe about the future is the main determiner of how we handle the present. What you think is in store for you for the future actually is probably the main thing that helps you cope with your everyday life. Just imagine two guys working the same dead-end job, but one is promised $10,000, one is promised $10 million. You know, I promise you, though they're in the same circumstances, they are going to be doing that job with a very different experience. It's actually not your circumstances that make you feel the way you feel. It's your hope that makes you feel the way you feel. Your believed-in future determines your experience of the present. If you've been around third for a while, you'll know that I, 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 I uh, really admire this 20th century thinker named Viktor Frankl. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychotherapist who was put in the death camps in World War II. He was put in Auschwitz. And being a psychotherapist, he couldn't help but doing some social observation. And he began to ask himself, why is it, as he watched the people around him, why is it that some people are able to handle this suffering with such poise and other people are falling apart. And he determined that when people lost faith in their own future, that's when they were doomed. He, he wrote in his memoir about a really moving case study. He said, a man in my ward, a well-known composer, told me he had a dream that the war was going to end March 30th. He was convinced that his dream was a revelation from God. But as March 30th drew near, it became clear from the news reports the war was not going to end. So on March 29th, he began running a high temperature. On March 30th, he lost consciousness. And on March 31st, he was dead. The loss of hope had lowered his resistance to all the diseases in the camp. You literally cannot live without hope. Your body's capacity to even resist illness and your brain's ability to push off dementia. These things are actually linked to hope. Your ultimate hope is the most inescapably formative thing about you. Frankl goes on to say this, life in a concentration camp tears open the human soul and exposes its depths and foundations. Only a few of the prisoners were able to keep their full inner liberty and strength. And then he says this, which is just crazy. He says, life 
only has meaning if one has a hope that suffering and even death cannot destroy. Now, he never went on to say what that hope was. But listen to that phrase. Life only has meaning if you have a hope that suffering and even death cannot destroy. Where do you get a hope like that? Because see, the problem is, is that very few of our hopes are like that. Very few of us have hopes that suffering and death cannot destroy. If you put your ultimate hope in, in anything, as I have personally discovered, whether it be your job or your money or your wealth or your marriage or your family or your children or your grandchildren or your, certainly your, your physical health and your beauty or your career or your ambitions or your legacy. Seriously, y'all, putting your hope in any of, of these things that suffering and death and even trial can take away basically fills your life with a ground note of anxiety all the time because where you put your hope is threatened. I have a friend who is a cancer survivor and I was just speaking to him recently and every week, every year, he has to do a scan to see about his PSA levels and all that. And he's fine, except about a week out, he starts feeling a little off. Two days before he starts feeling really queasy and the day before he can't even eat. And then he gets a scan and thinks, thankfully, recently he's been in the clear and he takes a deep, big, deep breath. But then guess what? The whole thing starts over again. Having a healthy, cancer-free life, that's a great thing to hope for. But is it, a, is, it, it is, is it a certain hope? Is it a strong hope? Is it a hope that even suffering and death cannot destroy? No. Health and money and success and power and family and, you know, Wallpapering your powder room. I mean, these, these are all just wonderful things. But they're not things that are, that are certain. They can be undercut by circumstances or time or trends or trial. Our hopes are too fragile. And if anything this pandemic has revealed, it is the fragility of so much of what we hope in. We're, we're stuck with the people that we love. And we love them. And yet we've also been at each other's necks. And a lot of us are experiencing disappointment and discouragement from those relationships. So many of us have experienced profound disillusionment with our politics. And the social public trust has eroded. So many people have lost hopes by losing basic things like jobs and health and financial security. And even people that they really loved who have died this past. Some of you have experienced that. We're all excited about getting back to normal. But let's face it, y'all, we don't even know what it's going to look like on the other side of this thing. We don't know what kind of disruptions will be ongoing, if there's going to be like a contraction of whole industries, if tax revenues will bottom out. We don't know what crisis will happen to education. I mean, even before the pandemic, polls were showing that pessimism about the future, the future that people feel for their grandchildren and their children, is at the highest rankings in a generation. And that has only deepened. There's an increasing sense of hopelessness about the future we face together. And so let's look at this statement again. Life only has meaning if you have a hope that suffering and even death cannot destroy. Where are you going to get that? Well, that's what we are celebrating today. Peter writes to a group of people who were facing, frankly, a whole lot more hardships than any of us have known. 
They were people, first of all, being a Christian in the first century was illegal. And so you were always being threatened by imprisonment or torture or death. Being just alive in the first century was pretty much horrible. I mean, you could die from like a, a hangnail, a, <laughs> a cold or a, or a toothache. Uh, these people were impoverished. Their lives were incredibly uncertain. Death was always around the corner. And yet Peter writes to them, thanks be to God, God has given you a living hope. What, a, what an amazing phrase. That's a hope that cannot die. A hope that can't be threatened. A hope that can't be touched by any circumstance. A hope that's certain. You know, it's, it's funny because when we say hope in the English, it often implies uncertainty. Like, I hope it doesn't rain. I hope chocolate cake is for lunch. I hope UVA doesn't choke. But they did. You know, that, that kind of stuff. We, that's, that's the, we, we, and it's almost like our, the way we use hope, it, it, it almost means like wishful thinking. But biblical hope means total certainty. Uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of what we hope for, the certainty of things not yet seen. Biblical hope is a life-shaping certainty about things that have not hep- yet happened, but most assuredly will. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, despite your uncertainty, despite the fragility of your life, despite you don't even know if you're going to make it to the next week, you, through God's mercy, have a living hope, a hope that cannot be touched, that cannot be destroyed, that guarantees that your future is beautiful and good. How can he say that? One thing, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What we celebrate today, friends, we have in this gift of Easter, a hope that cannot be taken from us. A commentator at Clowney writes this. He says, Peter writes of a sure hope, a hope that holds the future in the present because it's anchored in the past. Wow, that's so confusing. It must be really spiritual, right? <laughs> what, is, what does that even mean? He says, first, our hope is anchored in the past. What that means is this, friends. When we say, as we have already said today, Jesus is alive. We're not saying like they say in Memphis, like in Graceland, Elvis is alive. You know, we're not saying that he's alive in our hearts. He's alive in our memories. We are emphatically not celebrating the memory of a great man today. We are not celebrating the resurrection as a symbol of new life. We are celebrating that today a man, a corpse, rose from the grave and walked out of the tomb. It's a verifiable fact. It's like the 500 people witnessed it. He had a body. He ate. He drank with them. They touched him. They held him. They hugged him. An entire community of people were changed overnight from a bedraggled group of losers to a courageous movement that changed the world. There's no explanation for that. And so what, Paul, what Peter is saying is, is that our hope is actually grounded in the historic fact of the resurrection. Why? Because you can't undo it. You can't reverse it. You can't change it. Just like you can't do anything about the day of your own birth. It's a verifiable fact of history. You cannot undo what God has done. It's like a receipt, a proof of what God has accomplished for us. Have you ever shopped at Costco to get your 10 pound tub of Nutella and your bucket of mac and cheese and, and, you're, and, you're, and you're walking out and the, 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 that the person standing by the door checking your receipt? Now, I always get really nervous. I don't know why. I feel like maybe I stole something, an accident. I ate too many samples. I don't know. They're going to stop me or something. And I pull out my receipt and they look at it and they, they put a check on it 
and you're free to go. And it's like this, you, no one can accuse you. They can't get you anymore. It's been paid for. It's been done. It's been accomplished. The receipt is proof of what has happened. And that's what Peter means when he says that our hope is anchored in what has happened in the resurrection. It is a receipt. It is a proof of what God has already accomplished for you. You might feel like your life is meaningless. I sometimes do. You might feel like God doesn't love you. I feel that way a lot. You might feel like you don't have a future. You might feel like, gosh, you're going to die and your body's going to eaten by worms. Or you might feel like you're going to die and meet God and you're going to get condemned to hell. I don't know what you might feel. But the resurrection is the receipt, the proof that God has done something in history. He has accomplished. Your sin is forgiven. Evil cannot have a hold on you. Death is already defeated. The son of God is reigning and the promise of him is to make all things new. It stands for, it's an anchor, an anchor of our hope that cannot be undone. You see that? And, not, and because it's an anchor in the past, we can hold the future in the present. What is the future that the resurrection of Jesus points to? Well, I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, the adults of my life seemed to suggest to me that what I had to look forward to after death was floating around in some misty, cloudy place where I was like a cherub with a harp, and it was just like a really long church service. And I don't know what you kids think about that, but that just sounded terrible to me. And that is not the promise of the resurrection. That is not Easter hope. Because when Jesus rose from the dead with a glorified, resurrected body, it was a preview of what God was going to do for all creation and all who know him. It was a preview that God would remake and renew all creation. He would make a world without death, without sorrow, without violence, without racism, without oppression, without poverty, without cancer, without death. It was a promise that he would remake the bodies of all those who are in him. And so that you will have the life you always wanted, the body you always wanted, the family, the love that you've always wanted. It is a promise that suffering itself will be redeemed. That even the most horrific things that have ever happened in the human experience, that have happened to some of you, that somehow God will redeem, rename, remake that. That's the promise of the resurrection, a recreated world. And Paul, Peter now says we can hold that future in the present. What does that mean? Well, I'm not sure, but here's a, here's a little example. So there's a hymn that I love that's called For All the Saints. I remember singing it when I was a college student at Urbana with like 20,000 college students from all over the world and was like crying. And, the, and this, this verse, this verse always makes me cry. Uh, it, it says this, when the strife is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear the distant triumph song, then hearts are brave again and arms are strong. Hallelujah. Thank you, Nancy. Hallelujah. <laughs> so what the, what the hymn is inviting you to do is imagine yourself in a battle, and it's terrible. There's blood everywhere. People are dying all around you. You're losing. You're going to die. You're going to give up. But suddenly, steals on the ear the distant triumph song. You hear a trumpet. You hear the, the approaching gallop of a reinforcement army coming up over the hills. You do not yet see them, but you hear them. You hear the distant triumph song. And so even though you do not hear them, I mean, even though you do not see them, even though they are not yet with you, even though they haven't arrived yet, 
you are now guaranteed the victory. And so already, even before they've arrived, hearts are brave, arms are strong. You fight with greater valor and courage. Why? Because they're holding the impending future in the present. That's what the resurrection does for us. How else do you think these early Christians who faced persecution and suffering and were torn apart and thrown to the lions, how else did they face that with such courage and poise? Not through wishful thinking. I hope this works out. I hope there's an afterlife. No, it was through holding the future in the present. It, it was it was because they heard the distant triumph songs and their hearts were brave again. Kyle Harper, a historian who researches ancient pandemics, was interviewed just recently, and he was asked how Christianity kept growing in such terrible pandemic conditions in the first century. And this is what he said: For Christians, this life was always meant to be transitory and just part of a larger story. What was important to the Christians was to orient one's life towards the larger story, the cosmic story, the story of eternity. They did live in this world, experience pain and love others, but the Christians of that time were called to see the story of this life as just one of the stories in which they lived. And listen to this, the hidden map was this larger picture. And that's what I want you to see today, friends. If your hope is just deposited in this narrow little story that we're living in, you will never make it. You'll never have the ability to actually handle the suffering that all of us have to face. But the resurrection of Jesus has given us a hidden map of a larger story. And what is that larger story? It is the story of God's love. It is the story of his triumph. It is the story of his defeat of death, that he's already defeated given the death blow to death itself and it's on its way out. He's renewing all things and one day he will recreate all things. That is the larger map, the larger story. And so the invitation to you today, to all of us, whether you've never received it before or whether you need to hear it again, is to receive that living hope. As Peter says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All that means is that God is inviting you to receive the power of Jesus and his resurrection. God will deposit it in your soul through the Holy Spirit and it will become like a warming, energizing fire which changes you and makes you new and raises you up and makes you whole, makes you the person that you always wanted to be facing anything with courage and poise. That's the promise today to begin that new work in you through that new birth new mercy today. So that's his invitation. And I hope that you will receive it. It is a hope that cannot be taken, a hope that cannot be robbed, that cannot die, it is a hope of a light that will never go out even when all the other lights go dark. Our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present. Jesus lives. And our hope will be completed in the future. Jesus is coming to make all things new. Thanks be to God. Christ, Christ is risen. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're just so grateful that after a year like we've all been through, like the world has been through, that we have a hope. And it isn't hope that we'll get to the other side of the pandemic. It isn't hope that we'll have get back to normal. It isn't hope that... Um, 
we'll have a great 2021 or 2022. None of those things are strong enough to be our hope. Our hope is in the eternal victory of God over death through Jesus. And we thank you that we, after a year like this, are reminded today of that tremendous hope. I pray, God, if there's anyone here today who is experiencing hopelessness, that they would just simply receive your gift of hope. That they would say, Lord, I am just tired of turning to these small and temporary fragile hopes. And I receive Jesus and his gift of a living hope that cannot die. We receive that hope today and we rejoice in it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.